Hey, welcome. We welcome you to Faith Community Church. I'm glad you made it. We've got this detour thing going on. And we had signs on the highway. We had signs on uh, C49. We had signs at the turn down here. They were all there on Friday, and they are all gone today. Somebody, I guess, needed some signs. I don't know. We should pray for those people that they put those signs to good use. But uh, I'm glad that you made it. I talked to somebody this week. It was interesting. And, and she told me, she said, you know, it takes us about a half hour to get to church. And I said, well, you don't live that far from our church. And uh, she said, well, you know, because of this, uh, this, this uh, uh, rerouting of everything, and she said, I had to go over to Highway 4 and then over on this. And I said, well, I thought you lived near Manson. Why don't you just... <laughs> she said, we've been doing that all winter. I said, well, let me give you a new way to get to church, and it's going to save you about 20 minutes. So anyway, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you found the house of the Lord this morning. I, I just want to assure you of this, that whatever, you, whatever you've been dealing with and facing this week and whatever might be coming up next week, I, I just want you to know that God knows all about that. First of all, he knows all about it, and he's in control. I know it may not look that way at times, but he is in control, and he tells us, he admonishes us in the word, don't worry about this stuff. I know you need it. I know you need to do this or that or whatever it is, and he's going to take care of that. So anyway, I just want to encourage you with that. I'm going to read from God's word <clears throat> this morning. I'm going to read from Psalm 139. This is a powerful psalm, and I'm going to begin... Uh, reading this in verse 1. And would you mind standing for the reading of God's word this morning from Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when it's when far away. You chart the path ahead of me. You tell me where, where to stop and rest, and every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You both precede me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. I did one day, I took a pin and I circled all of the times where it says, you know. You do, you think. And my, my Bible is just red with circles. God knows all about us, doesn't he? And he's interested in every aspect of our life. And even if life kind of goes off the rails and into the ditch, God's still there and he's interested. And if that's where your life is today, I guarantee you at 11.15 when we conclude this service, He's going to help you right out of that ditch, get right on track, and you'll walk out of this building knowing and loving God like you've never loved him before. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord's Day. We thank you that today we gather in the name of Jesus. And Father, we are going to believe with all of our heart that everything that happens in the next 60 minutes or so 
is going to be to the honor of Christ the Lord. We believe that the worship, the songs that are going to be sung are just going to, they're, they're going to be the kind of things that's going to lift us up. And it's going to pave a pathway into the word that will be spoken later on in this service. Father, we are believing that by faith, the touch of God is going to be all over this place. Father, may the power of the Holy Spirit move in and out of these aisles and rows of people, touching their lives, touching their hearts, reminding them of your love and your great grace and your power that can work in their life. So, Father, I pray, help us to open up our hearts and open up our lives so that you can speak into us, cause us to be awakened to your spirit and to your presence. And thank you, Father, for loving us and bringing us to this church this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. And I'm just going to read two verses, verses 2 and 3, that will kind of get us a starting. It's going to be a starting spot for us. But Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to start reading at verse number 2. Verse number 2. I've titled this message, Talking About Duty and Faithfulness. I, I, I've, the longer I guess I live for God and serve God and things like this, I find that these two, these two words have a deepening of meaning in my own personal life. And perhaps you're discovering that too. Faithfulness, duty. I would add another one in there, loyalty, at the same time. They mean something. And we, we seem to live in a culture in which sometimes duty and faithfulness just, uh, wow, they're, they're kind of a fleeting thing, loyalty, things like that. But I think in the work of God, in the things of God, I, I pray that we would have a deep appreciation for not only what God does in our life, but how he works and how we are to respond to him. And there's a consistency that, that, that we need in our lives. I shared this with the eighth grade class this Wednesday. Sometimes it seems like lives are like deep waves, deep valleys, high peaks, this sort of thing. And I really think, I really think, and honestly, I know there's going to be, I think God wants to flatten the peaks out and elevate the valleys so that there's more of an evenness in our life, a steadiness that we don't get jerked around by high moments and wonderful things. And by Wednesday, wow, is there a bottom to this somewhere? <laughs> and, and I mean, you know what I'm talking about, I think. And so I, I think God, God would like to see us, and this is a message that might help us do that. I hope it is. I've got to tell you about a person uh, we started the prayer <clears throat> thing for LifeGate a year ago in February. We met in our home with probably a half a dozen people uh, from Humboldt. And I think there was one or two people from faith here from time to time, kind of in and out. Uh, 
at those meetings was a couple that I'd never met before. And they were very faithful. And I think we met every other week or something. I don't remember now. And we, uh, we just talked about the church and we prayed. And the, uh, the husband was not a believer. And yet he came. I think he came because his wife made him come. And that's not always all bad, okay? If I was speaking in a men's conference, I'd probably want to run out the back door. But uh, there is some merit to that. And this, this person has just been steady, kind of steady, kind of getting, boy, engaging and engaging more and more and enthused and everything else like that. And just, uh, uh, just very helpful. Just would do anything. And this has been going on, you know, for several months now. And, and I've always been kind of wondering, I wonder where your faith is, because he's actually talking about different things of, of faith, small things. Uh, he's been to our Bible studies, and uh, just very unfamiliar, of course, with the Word of God, doesn't know much about it, but... Uh, is trying his best to follow along and everything else. I, I just commend him for that. And I just, I, I, this is the reason I'm just excited about this. Because last night he raised his hand. He wanted to be a believer. And I, I tell you what, I could have, I swear I could have slam dunked a basketball. <laughs> and that's doing something with my bad knees. But uh, he raised his hand. And I had been talking, not really talking with him too much, but, you know, you could, just, you could just tell a gradual kind of baby steps leaning this way. And he took that last step last night. And I'm just, I tell you, I'm just excited for him. He's a new person in Christ this morning. And I realize sometimes that you know, probably, maybe there'd be those who would criticize and say, you know, this guy wasn't even saved, and yet you let him, you let him be ushers and everything else. I said, I don't care. The guy wanted to be a part of something good, where people loved him for just who he was. And I remember the, about a week ago in a Bible study, uh, and there was just a handful of us, well, there was about a dozen of us there at that point. And he said something, and, and really, it was, uh, I'm not going to repeat it, because I just, I can't, I won't. And it was kind of funny, because somebody came in and, and just uh, spoke, and I noticed his wife says, don't say that. Change happens in people's lives when we come to Christ. And I am excited for this family. I am so excited that God is at work in their life. And I'm sure that if we would take the time that there are people all over this church in which maybe similar things are happening in their life, that God is at work in their life, 
working change, working transformation. And I love it. And I, I, just, I just feel like the body of Christ is so powerful, so powerful, that whether we understand everything there is to understand about God, God uses the body to pull people in. And if I understand anything at all about today's culture, it's a culture of loneliness. It's a culture in which we don't necessarily communicate very well with one another because we're so busy tapping out messages. I told one of our people, it was, Jane Larson. Is Jane in the room? Good, I can talk about her. <laughs> Jane is a master at texting. I am not. And I have these big fingers and I get four letters at the same time. <laughs> and I, I know there must be a way to change that or to do it. I think she speaks into this thing and it writes for her. I don't know. And I'm, anyway. And so one time I just, call me. So, she texted me something and it was a very important thing. And I just, call me. That was my answer to her. <laughs> Jane's a good woman. Don't get me wrong. She's a blessing to our church. But uh, you know what I'm talking about? We're, we're a body of people. And people that love one another, you can't beat that. You just can't beat that. And so I just want to commend this church. Just This isn't my message. <laughs> Sorry. I've already burned off four minutes. But uh, this is not my message. But I just want to commend our church for being godly, loving, caring, interested in other people. I'm going to tell you, I know this for a fact, there are people sitting in this room today that are in this room simply because people were talking to them. They were guests here. People were interested in them. People were uh, concerned about them. People drank a cup of coffee with them and stuff like this. This is critical. And I commend you for doing that. You weren't necessarily, I don't think anybody stood up here and taught you to do that. I think this is something that God taught you to do. To be nice, to be hospitable, to be loving, to be kind, to be gracious. So I, I just as a word of encouragement, I thank you for that. Because it's such a, a great blessing. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Good thing I only have two verses. <clears throat> and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Kind of a short, uh, short moment there, and I'm going to expand on that one just a little bit. I believe John the Baptist had a very good idea of exactly who Jesus was. I don't think John was trying to figure out the theology and all of this stuff that might be swirling around Jesus because after all, it was John standing in the Jordan River baptizing people who were repenting of their sins and Jesus approached that, uh, that place, that spot. And it was John who said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John knew this. 
John, this was burned in his spirit and his heart. Jesus said, I've come here to be baptized. John kind of pushed back on that initially and said, no, no, wait a minute. I'm the one that needs to be responding to you. And Jesus kind of brushed that off. <clears throat> and there was a water baptismal service that day in the Jordan River. And at the end of that little quick service, the Bible tells me that a voice out of heaven, the voice of God the Father, simply said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And at that very moment also, the heavens, the Bible says the heavens opened up and a dove descended upon Jesus and sat upon him, a symbol of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. John had seen all that. John was the, the witness. John stood side by side with the Lord Jesus when all of this was happening, the heavens opening, the work of the Spirit. But shortly after this, John was taken to prison. And as we read in this chapter, he's having some doubts about, not so much about Jesus, but doubts about his situation and how this jibed with Jesus. It was hard for John to draw a connecting line between God and a God-called ministry and now here I am in prison. How does that work? What does this mean? I'm preaching this message this morning because I believe every one of us here has, has been in that kind of a moment in our life. I believe this. And that kind of a situation, it seems to raise some doubts about God. It's not that we're going to walk away from God. It's not that we're going to deny God or anything like that. But we just don't understand. There's a perplexity connected with something. And, and, and we're, we're not connecting those dots, if you will, in our lives. Perhaps his ability to hear our prayer, our willingness or his willingness to step into a situation and make some kind of a much needed change. I can tell you this, there have been countless believers since John's day who have shared these very same kind of emotions and raised the similar kinds of questions. And I believe this, not so much there was a doubt about God, but a measure of perplexity and confusion. Let's be clear about something. John was a child of God, clearly. I don't question that. Nobody should ever question that. He was a child of God. He wasn't questioning the truthfulness of the word that was revealed to him, but he had questions. How does this connect into my life? We've been there, haven't we? Some of you are here right now. In that very situation, I'm trying to connect the dots and I just struggle with making them meet in the right way. I have three very quick things I want to share with you that I think may contribute to this. And the first one would be difficult circumstances. Now, humanly speaking, the dynamic ministry of this voice crying in the wilderness was finished. 
John was done. Ministry is over. John the Baptist was a desert firebrand who blazed the truth of God, often confrontational, always courageous in his manner. John said what needed to be said. He didn't hesitate to, uh, for a moment to call sin, sin, and sinners, sinners. It didn't bother him a bit. And now he's in prison because of his faithfulness and the message that he was preaching. John the Baptist is not the first, nor is he going to be the last to be faithful, and yet the ministry was ending in a very untimely kind of a way. There would be a Jeremiah who earlier had cried out against sin and done this for decades. The sin of Israel, the sin that that as a nation was committing and wandering away from God. Jeremiah spoke against it, and his ministry ended in tears. And as far as we know, he had one convert in all of those decades of faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 39 gives us some interesting information. I'm going to turn there really quick if you'd like to follow me. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we see something interesting here. Actually, it begins a little bit before verse 39 because we see all the wonderful acts of faith, the courageous works of faith of Noah, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It goes on to Joseph, to Moses, Gideon, David. And I'm just naming just a handful right there. All of them were commended for their incredible faith and all of these things. But then, beginning in verse 36, there's something that disturbing begins to happen right in this text. And it starts this way. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, chains, imprisonment. It goes on and tells about some of the acts of torture and all kinds of things. All of these because of faith. And then in verse 39 I read, And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. I have worked for God. I have served God. I've been faithful to God. I have lived for God. And now this is happening. This is where John the Baptist was. Faithful. There's people in this church right now. You're walking through some of that. I've served God faithfully. Then how come... I'm battling cancer. How come I've got a heart disease? How come I'm hospitalized with this or that or whatever? Why? What's wrong? This is exactly where John was. And we find ourselves sometimes in these, and we're not making a question. The question mark isn't your your, your faith? The question mark isn't, am I committed to God or anything like that? That's not the question. It's that problem of connecting those dots and making sense out of it. When a believer has faithfully and sacrificially served God for many years and then experiences tragedy, it's difficult not to wonder about the love of God and the justice of God. 
When a child is lost, a spouse dies, a marriage fails, a disease claims a life, we're very tempted to ask, where is God when I really needed him? Why didn't God step up and answer my prayer? It's a very good question. And oftentimes we don't have the answers. I can tell you this, if you allow the devil, hear me very carefully now, if you allow the devil to allow yourself to dwell on these kinds of things, this is not fair, God did not do something, why didn't God answer my prayer? And all of these questions, if you allow the enemy, if you, hear me, if you allow the enemy to keep running these things through your head and through your mind, I can tell you this, his desire is to undermine your faith, your trust, your confidence in God. He wants to undermine it. He wants to convince you God really isn't who he says he is. And he's trying to pull the rug out from under you, jerk it out so that you take a tumble and fall. This is exactly the plan. We're vulnerable. We become extremely vulnerable when we doubt God's goodness and start believing Satan's lies as to why we're suffering. You have to give John the Baptist credit, though, for knowing where to go to find the answers. He went to, he went to Jesus directly. Actually, he couldn't get out of jail, but he sent his people. That was some of his followers to find Jesus, to speak to them. And, and, uh, and the Bible gives us uh, what, what John was told Back here again in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6. It's kind of like a mild rebuke though. Just a little bit. It's not real harsh or anything like that. But it helped. It says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus is saying, I need to be open to God's plan. Even when it doesn't fit my plan. You got it? I need to be open to God's plan even when it doesn't fit my plan. Years ago when we were beginning our ministry and we were just barely two years into pastoring um, uh, in an effort to make a very long story very short, we believed with all of our hearts that God said, you're to plant a new church. And we were pastoring in Alaska at the time. Plant a new church in this area of town. Showed us the property, all of that stuff. And everything was progressing. Another church was going to take over our church in this part of town and become a, just really change the course of ministry. Everything was working, and then all of a sudden, I, I mean all of a sudden, we were told, you will not be a part of this. This person will do this. But thank you for setting it up. And I've got to be honest with you, I remember the night that happened. Well, it's night all the time in November. <laughs> I went out to my vehicle. 
I just wept. How could God do this? I was really young in my faith. How could this happen? How can you be following God's will? And bang, you're out. How does that work? I didn't have an answer. Guess what? I'm 44 years later and I still don't have an answer. But I do know this. We kept praying. We kept believing. And I'm thanking God for my wife, Joan. She's back cooking dinner. Because that first Sunday, the first time in my Christian life, I said, I don't want to go to church. You know, kind of like, I'll show you, God. <laughs> Niles isn't going to show up. I don't want to go to church. And Joan said, yes, you are. <laughs> I went to church. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because God spoke to me. He didn't take the pain. He didn't take the ache. He didn't answer the question. But he spoke to me. And in a very difficult situation, we began to open our hearts. And three months later, I got a phone call asking me if I'd be interested in planting a church in Algona, Iowa. You know what? He was right all along. Yeah, we're supposed to plan a church. We just had the location wrong. It's 3,600 miles from where you thought you were going to do it. And it's here. You follow me? Difficult circumstances. These things hurt. These things are powerful. Let me kind of rush here just a little bit. Incomplete revelation, that's what I'm going to call it, is a major cause of doubt is what I refer to as incomplete. John the Baptist had heard of the work of Jesus and all of his information was secondhand. He had really no direct contact with Jesus. And we need to keep a perspective here. Even Jesus' own disciples didn't really get all of the understanding. You know, at the Last Supper, they were still arguing about who's going to sit on the right side and who's going to sit on the left and all of this stuff. And... You know, it must have been exasperating to Jesus to spend three years with these guys talking about the kingdom of God, and yet they didn't really get it. I think they got it, though, when he took that bowl of water and a wash towel and started washing their feet. I honestly think it started to sink in at that point. And they realized that this is a Savior who is going to have to suffer and die it's not according to our plan. Our plan was that he's going to beat back these Romans and we're going to run the show. But that's not why Jesus came. Luke chapter 24 tells us a story of Jesus walking with the disciples going to this little town called Emmaus. Not all that far from Jerusalem, but first of all, these disciples are just, man, I'm telling you, they've been run through the ringer. I mean, it was Gethsemane, it was the trial, it was the crucifixion, it was the death of Jesus, and they're walking out of town. 
And all of a sudden, somebody just sort of joins them. And they're so, they're so wrapped up in their, the questions that they had and the problem and the ache in their heart and all of these things. And Jesus began to talk to them. They didn't recognize who it was. They didn't know who, it, who was walking with them. And as they sat down, this is what happened. The Bible says, Jesus took the bread and broke it. And right there, this is Jesus. And he left them. He disappeared. And the Bible says this, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and explaining the scripture? It all sunk in. The Savior is alive. We must have a continuing commitment to the word of God to protect us from doubt, to keep in mind the sword of the Spirit is still the word of God. It still is. Finally, the third cause is world influence. We live in a world that is not favorable toward God. John was in a prison cell here. He was not insulated from the influences of the world and neither are we. The majority of the Jews thought that if Jesus is anything, he's a political Messiah and we're going to deal with these Romans and all of this stuff. Most of the people there were hoping for some kind of an, an instant happiness and an instant provision and sin was still rampant. There were still injustices and the corruption seemed to be growing every day. All of this was a part of the mix of that particular time. There are people today who call out, well, if Jesus loves everybody so much, then why do little children starve? And why do we get disease? If God is so just, why is there corruption? If God is so powerful, why does he just stamp out evil? And because God does not fit the preconceived notion or idea that somebody might have, we become perplexed and sometimes indignant and oftentimes upset at God himself. Paul gives us a bit of an answer to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Let me read this to you. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know him, because they are spiritually discerned. Listen to me, folks. You and I have an element in us that is able to discern spiritual things. God put it there. God nurtured it. God nurtures it through his word, through the work of his spirit, through the contact that we have with the, with the body of Christ and all of these things. This becomes nurtured in us. And it helps us to understand the things that are happening around us and all of these things that might might occur in our lives. Listen to me carefully. I want you to hear this. Life on earth is very incomplete. Very incomplete. And oftentimes, very contradictory. This means we simply do not have all of the answers and all of the explanations for all of life's conflicts especially when they come close to home. We just don't have the answers. And these are harsh realities, and these are the kinds of realities that batter our faith. These are the realities that I am convinced that Satan loves to use 
like a sledgehammer, just beat on us and pound on us in the effort to undermine our walk with God and get us to say, I give up. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm walking away from this. I didn't get what I thought I deserved. And all of this on and on it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. God does not owe me anything. Do you hear me? God does not owe me anything. He gave me Jesus. Jesus is everything. He gave me forgiveness. He gave me eternal life. He does not owe me an explanation for what I don't understand. He does not owe me... I'm, listen, I'm a good Christian. I really need to have this kind of a lifestyle. He does not owe me that. And we need to understand this, folks. There's a lot of people today, and there's a lot of people that have lived in the past, and, and if the Lord doesn't return here right away, that will live in the future, that have served God faithfully, and yet, in many ways, we might say, they didn't get what they deserved. Our best response is when we arrive in the presence of God and all the questions, all the doubts, it all clears up. I can't wait. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Remember our discussion in Sunday school? It's all going to get straightened out. We batted that question all over the place today. And we're going to get it cleared up. When we feel that our yoke is heavy... We need to remember what Jesus said. And what did he say? Here, take my yoke. It's easy. And the burden is light. Let me give you four quick things and I'm done. The burden is light. It's bound up in his love. It's a daily walk in the spirit. It's a matter of praying without ceasing. And it's looking to God's grace, which will always be sufficient. Would you guys leave that up on the screen for a little while? I don't know if there's another thing coming after that, but just leave it up there. I, th I see some people trying to copy that down. I want to close this way. Janet, could you return, please? <clears throat> I remember something Jesus said as he spoke to his disciples in that last evening that he would spend with them. It's in John chapter 16, verse 33, in which he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Did you get that? In me, you're going to have peace. The world's got tribulation. It swirls all around us every day of the week, every moment of that day. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen? This is one of these messages where you don't necessarily get up and shout and run the aisles. But I think it's the kind of a message that if we'll take it to heart, if we'll allow it to soak in to our spirit, It'll be good, do good, it'll do us good. It'll be special and it will be helpful. Would you stand with me, please?
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God that gives us guidance, gives us leadership, speaks to us. It's good to be able to identify with John the Baptist. He had some doubts, questions that he couldn't answer. So he went right to the source, went right to God. Father, I thank you that you have overcome the world that we live in, a world that's broken, a world that can really offer us very little. And I'm thankful that you have overcome this world. So Father, today I pray that you are going to wrap your loving arms and hand upon people's lives that struggle, that, that have a, a situation in their life that has lead, left them battered perhaps questioning, perhaps with hurt. Father, we pray against an enemy that we call the devil that wants to take these times in our lives and just hammer us and try to raise doubt and disappointment in our life. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. I pray that you will, you will touch every heart and every life. Use this message. Allow it, to, allow it to just absolutely soak into our mind and our spirit so that it might help us, so that it might be something that's going to lift us up and steady us during those stormy moments of life. And so, Father, we thank you that your love is everlasting. It never fades. It does not waver. Just because we have a bad day or a bad season doesn't mean that you don't care and that you've decided that you don't love us. So we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, your duty, your loyalty. Help us to be the same. And I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Shall we do it? Let's do it together. Father, may the Lord bless and keep your people. Cause your face to shine upon them in their lives and the things that they're going to be doing this week. I pray that you're literally going to pave the way. And you're going to pave the way with your will, with your wisdom, with your hope that burns and works in their lives. Father, bless this congregation. Bless the families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.